This morning, we're in Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, as Matt read for us today. And since the beginning of the year, we've been taking a journey through this great letter, uh, the letter of Acts, written by Luke. And we've journeyed through the last few weeks, looking up until this point. Last week, I realized we spent eight minutes on this section. I was like, We've got to push the pause button and go back and look at this section because it's, it's vital, it's important. Uh, anybody in here would qualify themselves as someone who bakes? Are you, are you a, one who bakes? Some of you are like, yeah, yeah, I bake, I bake cookies, yeah, do that kind of stuff, good deal. Um, I, I'm not a, a baker, I'm, I'm sure you could probably gather that, but uh, uh, I do breakfast for our house in the morning, that, that's kind of my deal. Uh, partly because I, I love breakfast. I love anything that involves bacon. It's just really good, right? And so uh, I knew I'd get an amen on bacon. So there we go. But um, my kids, my kids dig uh, pancakes. I mean, I, I think we could go about every other day on pancakes. Um, that the key ingredient, though, for them is is got to be chocolate chips. I mean, if if there's no chocolate chips, they they ain't eating it, right? And so, but there's other ingredients to the pancakes that, that are vital, at least, at least in my book, maybe not my kids, but in, but in my book. I mean, it's got to have the vegetable oil, right? It's got to have the eggs, it's got to have the milk, it, it, it's got to have the mix and all that. And so there's not a lot to it, but, it, but if you're missing an ingredient, it all gets thrown off, man. I mean, because if you don't have the egg, you ain't got a good pancake, right? It, it, it will be noticeable that something is lacking. It, it won't be edible. And you know that with anything you were to bake, that would be the case. The ingredients are huge, are huge. And this morning, we're going to look at a text where we see the key ingredients to the church. And in this text this morning, what we see, these essential elements, these essential ingredients are vital. They're important to us as the people of God. Because what outflows from these, what overflows from these, that the fruit that comes from it is truly what God wants us to live out. But if we don't have these ingredients, we won't see the fruit. You see, God wants us to live out and express the ways of the kingdom of God here on earth. That's what the church is to do. You remember back in the Old Testament, we see that that was his plan for Israel, that they would live out, manifest the ways of the kingdom. For the most part, that they failed on that, and, and God has restored his vision. We see that in the New Testament with the church, that we would live out the ways of the kingdom. And we see right here in today's text, the ways of the kingdom lived out, but key to that were the ingredients of the church. And so this morning, I want us to look at verse 42, and, and right off the bat, there's just one word that's huge and key, and I'll tell you what it is in just a second. But in verse 42, it says that they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And some of you guys just got stuck on bread. You're like, man, I'm, I'm hungry, man. Lunch is in my side, all right? All right, we'll, we'll put that to the side. We'll get to lunch in a little bit, but, but, but look at this text. The first thing it says is they, they. And a good question this morning is, who is they? 
And if you were to go back a little bit, maybe you were here last week, you know this, but if you weren't, just to kind of catch you up a little bit, that they are Jews, they're Hebrews, they're Hellenistic Jews, they're also those Gentiles who converted to Judaism, but now they find themselves in Jerusalem and they've heard the gospel shared and declared by Peter and their hearts got cut to the core, got pierced by the message of the gospel. And they asked Peter, Peter, what do we do? Because something's happening. Uh, we've seen God in Jesus Christ, and yet he is the Messiah. And, and so what do we do? How do we respond to this? Because all they know is what? They know religion. And Peter wasn't preaching religion, right? And so they, their eyes are awakened to who God is in Jesus Christ and that he is both Lord and truly the Messiah. And Peter says, you've got to repent. You've got to turn from whatever else you're trusting in and believing in and turn to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and then go and be baptized as an expression of your faith. And so the they right here are those who have repented and believed in Christ. Their sins have been forgiven. They've received the gift of the Holy Spirit. They've now been baptized and we learned in verse 41, there's about 3,000 of these that have experienced this, along with the apostles and the other believers there. And so that they are the church. They're the church. And that's what's birthed here, is the church. Now, you think about the church. When you were little, maybe, maybe when you were little, I don't know, I, th I think this is kind of getting outdated, um, but you were little, maybe your parents did something like this. You remember this? They did this little thing like this. Here's the church, Right? Here's the steeple. Come on, you can, you can do this with me. Okay, look inside the door, and what do you see? Yeah, yeah. So thrown off, right? I mean, that, 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 that's so off. It, because, but a lot of times we think that. Okay, here's the church, all right? And yes, we've got a steeple here, all right? And look inside, there's the people. And there's the people, but, but we've got it backwards, don't we? Because inside the, the people... They are what? They're the church. The church is not a building. It's not an address. It's not a location. The church is not about a time that you meet at. You're not going to church, but instead, the people of God are the church. The church might have buildings. The church might have a specific address where they go and meet at once or twice a week or whatever it may be, but the church, the people of God, and that's what we see right here. They're the people of God. Now, I wanna do this this morning. I wanna give you just a few verses up on the screen so that we understand who the church is because what we're about to see here is what they, they do together, but before that, I want us to understand who they are and what their mission is. So look at this verse, Ephesians 1, 22 through 23. I love this verse. In fact, I want this to kinda of be the verse that we kinda of, uh, just throw over Acts 2 this morning. But listen to this. This is a huge verse. Listen to what Paul says. He says that God put all things in subjection under Jesus' feet. Okay? So I'm filling the blanks in on this verse, who he is and who his is. Okay? God put all things in subjection under Jesus' feet and gave Jesus as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of Jesus who fills all in all. You got that? that and, and that's a lot. I mean, you think about that. So, so he says that the church is who? Is Jesus' body, 
And it says, the fullness of Jesus who feels all in all. That's the church. And so there are a couple of words right here. The church is the word ecclesia. It's the called out ones. The second word, the word the body or Jesus' body is the word soma, soma. Um, and it speaks that we are the body of Christ. And as the church, we are the fullness of God. We're the fullness of Christ. That's who the church is to be. And then they are to fill every nook and cranny, every inch of this universe with the glory of God. That's what Paul is saying here. That's how he saw the church. Now, a couple other verses. Listen to this. In Colossians 1.18, Paul says that Christ is also the head of the body, the church. And so there you have those words again. Then Colossians 1.24, listen to this. He says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. In my flesh, I do my share on behalf of his body. So again, his body, speaking of the church, which is the church in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. It doesn't, Paul's not meaning that Christ's afflictions on the cross lacked something in meaning. That's not it. But what he's saying is that the understanding of that, the knowledge of that is lacking throughout the world. And so hopefully Paul is saying through my life and my suffering, his afflictions would be made more evident and revealed to what they mean to people, the gospel. Um, and so the church, the body, then look at this text, 1 Corinthians 12, 27. He says, now you are Christ's body and individually you are members of of it. So there's that idea of Christ's body. And, and what does that mean, that word soma? Um, one other text to kind of help us flesh this out, 2 Corinthians 4, 11. If you're new with us here this morning, we, we get a lot of Bible, all right? A lot of Bible, okay? Um, 2 Corinthians 4, 11 says, for we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, and here's why. So that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh, meaning that the life of Jesus would be made known, would be made known. And, and so who is the church? Who is the church? Um, let me give you just a couple of quotes and help us understand this. The first one is this, and when it talks about the word soma, it means this, that we are the body. It's the mystical body of Christ. It's the fellowship of believers regarded as an organic, living, spiritual unity in a living relationship to Jesus Christ. Subject to him, we're animated by him, I like that, and having his power operating in us. The relation between Christ and the church, therefore, is not an external relation. And it, look at the next quote. The relation between Christ and the church, therefore, is not external, but one of life and an incorporation with him. We're united with him. And so the church is, I love this, is a, a society. It's a new society, which is in vital connection with Jesus, having the source of its life in him, sustained and directed by his power, the instrument also by which he works. And that's who the church is, as the body of Christ. You think about in John 15, 5, remember what Jesus said? He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. No one can bear fruit apart from me. And that's what he's saying about the church, that he's the vine, he's our source, he's our sustenance. And the church cannot bear fruit apart from Jesus Christ. 
And so we are the body of Christ. He sustains us as we are united in him. Now look at this verse again. Look at Ephesians 1, 22 through 23. We've looked at it already, but look at the end again because it says the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Paul says here that Christ is filling all in all. That means the universe, everything, with what? With his reign, with his rule, with his authority. Um, this morning, my kids and I, we were walking into church, and this is not usually a common conversation uh, among my kids, but we were talking about um, the caucuses, all right? Uh, how many of you guys talking to your kids about the caucuses this morning? Probably not many of you. And so we were talking about um, the great pool of people that, that we could elect. And so we were talking about that coming in, and, and I sensed fear, in my, even in my kids. I sensed a little fear. And so I was, I was reminding them of the reign and the rule and the authority of Jesus Christ that fills everything. And so we don't have to be afraid, right? We don't have to be afraid because Jesus reigns. And he wants his reign to fill all in all. But how is he going to do that? According to this verse, and I think this is kind of mind-blowing to me, is that he's going to do it through the church. Through those who have trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, they're the body of Christ. Paul says they are the fullness of Jesus. And they are the ones they're going to fill all in all. They're the ones that are going to let people know who Jesus is and about his reign and about his authority. And so this morning, as we read this text, as you hear this word, they, in verse 42. Remember, we're talking about one word right here. I want you to know they are the church. They're the body of Christ that have been called out as the fullness of God to embody who Jesus is to this world, and that they would fill every nook and cranny of it with the glory of God, with the gospel. That's who the church is to be. But here's my question. How do they be? How do they express the fullness of God? How do they grow in the fullness of God? How do they remain sustained in the fullness of God and truly embody who Jesus is to the world? How do they do that? Well, I think the answer is in 42. Because it says right here, they were continually devoting themselves. They were committed. Um, they made as a priority four ingredients that were huge to the church. And as we look at these four ingredients this morning, we see them in the life of Jesus Christ, right? The first one, the apostles' teaching. Jesus taught and it was important for Jesus to teach the word of God. We see it in the second one, fellowship, all right? They, they had fellowship with Jesus. Jesus hung with them. He was with them for three years. We'll talk about fellowship. The, the third one is what? The breaking of bread. They shared meals with Jesus. Uh, Jesus told them about the Lord's Supper and to remember that. And then the fourth one, prayer. They, no doubt, learned prayer from Jesus. And so they knew to embody the life of who Jesus Christ was here on earth, in and through their life. These four things were a must. And so what were they again? The apostles' teaching. What's the apostles' teaching? These are the four essentials, right? I believe to the church and to us as a community, the apostles' teaching is the word 
of God. Now, specifically in the first century, the word of God or the apostles' teaching was the Old Testament. The apostles would teach that, and they would also teach their eyewitness accounts of Jesus and what Jesus taught them, and then also whatever Jesus would reveal from heaven to them through the Holy Spirit. If you remember during this time period, we also had uh, those like uh, Luke and John, uh, eventually Paul, those who would be inspired by the Holy Spirit to pin down the word of God. And so God was speaking and revealing things from heaven even to the apostles. But what were they teaching? I think one example we could look at, if you look at what's immediately before this in Acts 2, uh, 14 through 36, it gives us an idea that they were talking about Jesus, who he was, about his miracles, about his death about his resurrection, about his ascension. But the importance of this is that we see what was vital to their fellowship and to their gathering, to their community, were the scriptures. The scriptures were of utmost importance. And you had a community that was teachable. They they were wanting to know more about God and to grow in the ways of God and the kingdom. Now, I want you to listen to this verse, 1 Peter 2.2. 2. Here's Peter. He's one of the apostles. And listen to what he writes in his first letter. He says this. He says, like newborn babes long for the milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. When a baby is hungry, they let you know, don't they? And they're going to keep letting you know until you feed them. And so you look at this verse right here. Is this newborn babes long for, for milk that you and I would long for the word that way, that we would long for the word of God. Why? Because we know that it helps us grow up. It it matures us in respect to salvation, the ways of God. And so the first church, the word of God was their sustenance. It it was the very thing that they lived by because they knew to know the word of God was to, to know Christ more and to be able to live out his ways more. Jesus prayed for the church in John 17. And one of the things he prayed for the church is he said this. He said, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. What's the truth? The the truth is the word of God. And what does the truth do? It sanctifies us. It makes us pure in our hearts and in our minds. It sets us apart for the ways and the will of God. And that's what the church wants to do. God wants the church to be, to be his pure and holy bride. And how do we become that? By the word of God. Listen to a couple of quotes about this. Puritan John Owen said this. He says, holiness is nothing but the implanting and writing and realizing of the gospel in our souls. And so when we read the word of God, when we continue to remember the gospel, what's happening, it's being implanted into our souls, and that's what we need. George Gallup says this, and this is convicting. He says, the churches of America face no greater challenge as we approach the next century than overcoming biblical illiteracy. And the prospects for doing so are formidable because the stark fact is this, many Christians don't know what they believe or why. Our faith is rooted, or our faith is not rooted in Scripture for many today. We revere the Bible, but we don't actually read it. Some observers maintain that the Bible has not any, any 
profound way penetrated our culture. And what you see in the first century church is you see that the gospel penetrates a culture. That's what happens here. The gospel penetrates a culture. And why is that? Because they didn't only revere the word of God, but they, they read it, they sought to know it, to listen to it, to hear it, to study it, to meditate on it. They were continually devoted to it. And so if we want the, the gospel to, to penetrate our culture, to penetrate schools, to, to penetrate your place of work, we've got to be people who love the word of God, who read the word of God, who study the word of God so that it changes our lives, so that we can truly be the fullness of God. Oh, that we would love the word and make it central, not only to our gatherings here, yes, that's important to every assembly we have from life group to a worship here to the classes we do at nine o'clock, but also personally and daily, that we would read the word of God. Now, look at the second one, the, the fellowship, but we love that. We're like, hey, yeah, man, we love to hang out, right? Fellowship's the next one, but, but fellowship is more than just hanging out. It's this partnership. We're connected because we're united by the fact that we have believed in Christ as our, as our Lord and Savior. We're united by faith. And so we have this connection. We're sons, uh, excuse me, we're brothers and sisters in Christ because we're sons and daughters of the King. We're a family. We're now this new society, this new community. And so that's what our fellowship is about. Now, there's two things that were key to this fellowship. If you look at the text, a few places, <clears throat> look at verse 44. It said in verse 44, all those who had believed were together. They had all things in common. If you drop down a little bit uh, as well, look at verse 46. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple. When you hear words like together, they had things in common. They were of one mind. What does that speak of? It speaks of unity. It speaks of unity. But what was their unity around? It was the unity of the faith. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says about this. Ephesians 4, verse 11 through 13. He said, he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. For what? For the equipping of the saints and some, or excuse me, for the building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. You see that idea of the fullness of Christ? You remember that's who God wants the church to be, the fullness of Christ? And so what's a key element to that? The unity of the faith, our fellowship that we would be united by the essentials of the faith. It's not about my opinions. That's why I'm not up here teaching them. It's not about my preferences and having everybody come alongside to those things. No, it's that we gather around the essentials of the gospel, the truth of God's word, and that we would be united around those essentials. It's huge, it's huge. And then not only that, not only unity, but love. Love is huge, that, that we would love one another and have a deep compassion for each other. In Colossians chapter three, verse 14, listen to what Paul says. He says, beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. 
Love is the thing that fastens us together. It's the element that controls our unity. Without it, there is no unity. With love, unity is developed. It's, it's formed. And we hold on to these key essentials. But important to that as well is the love that we share. Now, I want you to think about this. In the first century, you've got these new believers that are now hanging out together where before they hated each other. You think about it. Here you had these apostles, those who followed Jesus Christ, and then you had these Jews who didn't like Jesus. They hated Jesus. They hated his followers. But now all of a sudden, those barriers are broken down. The hate is put away. And now they're doing life together. They're sharing things with each other. The barrier of ethnicity, the barriers of backgrounds, the barriers of opinions, appearances, preferences, you name it, are all put to the side. And they love each other because they're united around one truth, and that's Jesus Christ. So important. The love that they had for each other was shown. They were benevolent. Look at verse 44 through 45. What does it say? It says in verse 45, they began selling their property, possessions, and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. They didn't hold tight to the things of this world, but they freely gave them to others. And I want to tell you, I want to encourage you. One of the things I love about the rich for the last 11 years is you are a loving, benevolent people. And I love that. I love that. When I go to sleep at night, one of the things that, that I just am so thankful for is that element about the rich. This week we were in an elders meeting and we were talking about budget things, which is so much fun, right? And so we were talking about line items and line items and line items and, and just areas where we needed to, to be careful and maybe potentially cut here and there and all this kind of stuff. And, and, and the word benevolent got brought up. And, and I love just the spirit of the room. It wasn't even a question. We're not going to touch benevolent budget, right? We're not going to touch that. But I love that every month there is, is money, even through our budget, it's a line item of going to help people. Uh, whether it's with mortgage or, or food or, or whatever it may be, and to know that that's happening even throughout the week, unknown, unknown. And even though I hear trickles and we get word of those things, but they happen, and it's because of your love for each other. And that's what's to define the church. It's a key element of their fellowship, and that was the case here. And then look at the third thing. They broke bread together. They broke bread one of our elders said this morning that that's one of the, the key elements that we probably need to tone down a little bit, breaking of bread together. I don't, I don't know about that, but, <laughs> but uh, breaking bread. What does it mean? What does it mean? It's really two things, right? Um, but they would share these things often together. The breaking of bread, yes, they would share meals together as the first church. It was important, especially in that culture, uh, in the Jewish culture, a meal was sacred. If you sat and ate with somebody they liked you, right? You, you shared a friendship together. It, it meant a lot. It meant a lot. But the other idea, too, the breaking of bread is the Lord's Supper, right? Jesus, when he was here on earth, on the night of his betrayal, he sat with his disciples and he took bread and he broke it. He took wine. He said, this is my 
blood. The bread is my body. And he said, as often as you gather, remember those important truths as you take the bread, as you take the cup about his death. In fact, listen to what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26. Paul says, for often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so why do we observe the Lord's suppers? Because Christ has told us to. Paul continues to tell us to remember as we gather to remember the bread and the, and the cup. And what does it mean? It speaks to the Lord's death and then also his return. It speaks of his return, but it also speaks of everything uh, leading up to that, which includes his resurrection, his ascension. And so we remember those things as we gather together and we celebrate communion together. It's also a time of examining as well. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 11. He says, therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and of the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So when we come to the Lord's Supper, we're remembering what Christ has done for us, but we also want to examine our life and to make sure that there's nothing in our life that's dishonoring to the Lord and that we would confess those things to the Lord and make sure that even in our fellowship that we haven't done anything to not keep the peace with somebody and to make sure that we are at peace with others. And that if we're not, to say, hey, you know what? I'm refraining today. I'm refraining from this, and I'm going to go take steps to make sure I am at peace with others or to make sure that, hey, listen, I address this issue in my life and that I would get right with the Lord. And so it's a time of examining, Paul says, as well. And so the first church would practice this. It was an important part. And then the fourth and final ingredient, but, but, but these aren't in ranking here. This is huge, is prayer. Uh, prayer was the, the life source of the church. It still is today. It's crucial to our relationship with God. We saw that with Jesus when he would go and meet with the Father. Prayer defines our relationship with God. And we as the church are to emulate the prayer life of Christ. He's our model. He's our example. When Jesus would go to pray, he would express his dependence on the Father, his love for the Father, as he would seek God's face, and that you and I are to do the same thing. And the first century church modeled that so well. We saw them obey Jesus and go to the upper room and pray just a few weeks ago. And you remember when they were with Jesus here on earth, they asked Jesus, Jesus, teach us to pray. And you remember what Jesus said in Luke 11? He said this, he says, when you pray, because Jesus wanted them to know that prayer is part of your relationship with Christ. It is the relationship with God. And he said, when you pray, pray this way. You remember what he said? He said, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation." And the first church would pray this way. The disciples, the apostles would pray this way. They would praise God for who he is. They would pray, God, your kingdom come. Now, sometimes when we hear that word kingdom come, we think this way. We think, Christ, come back, bring your kingdom here on earth. And, and one day we're looking forward to that. And yes, we want that to come, but that's not what he meant. 
That's not what he meant in the fullness of it. What he meant was, God, that your kingdom would come even now. That it would come even now. And how does God's kingdom come now? It comes when those who turn and trust in Jesus Christ, when they believe in him as Lord and Savior, God's kingdom is coming. Why? Because now Jesus is reigning and ruling in their heart and in their life. And the kingdom of God is expressed through the love of the church and the witness of the church. In fact, if you look at 43 through 47 in this text, this is the answer to a prayer of, God, your kingdom come. That's what it looks like. It's like it looks like the church um, living out the ways of the kingdom and the ways of God. And so we need to be praying, God, your kingdom come. And so what does that mean? We, we pray for, for those, our neighbors, and for others at work who don't know Christ. Just like Ruthie shared in the video, that we would pray for those by name and that we would seek to let them know about Jesus. And so as we see these ingredients, and we could camp out a whole lot more of these things, but if we see these ingredients, these are essential to you and I truly being the fullness of God. And as we close today, I, I want you to hear this, and, and just shortly, I want you to hear this, that we would be the fullness of God and truly as the church fill every nook and cranny of this universe with the glory of God. And what was the, the, the result maybe look like? Well, look at, look at what we have here in verse 43. Look what happens just real quick. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. Many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. Why were people feeling a sense of awe? Why were they filled with this awe and wonder? It was because they recognized that God was at work. Were there miracles? Yes, through the apostles. Just as God did miracles through Jesus, he was doing miracles through the apostles. We're gonna see that as we study Acts. But not only that, it was the miracle of the community, the miracle of their fellowship, that they were united. People that once were against each other because of religion, now together because of their faith in Christ. And that was a miracle. And it caused people to stand in awe. But not only that, in verse 44 and 45, we looked at this a second ago, but listen to what they do. They shared their property, their possessions with all. Remember Jesus when he was here on earth? Remember what he said? In Matthew 5, 16, he said this. He says, let your light shine before men in such a way that they see what? Your good works and glorify the Father who is in heaven. Those who are part of the church, who commit themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and the prayer, and the breaking of bread, the, the key essentials, what comes forth from their life, what came forth from the church, were good works. And that is what God saved us for. It's what he redeemed us for, as he says in Titus 2, that we would be zealous for good works. And that's what we see right here. We see a church so on fire that when they see a pressing need, they go and they even sell their own stuff. And they give the proceeds and the goods to help meet the needs of the poor, the disadvantaged, to yes, believers, but also to all people. And then in verse 47, we saw this last week as well, they had favor with all people. The church, 
It's the body of Christ who is called out as the fullness of God here on earth to fill every nook and cranny, which means the place you go to work tomorrow, the school you go tomorrow, you go as God's body, as his hands and his feet. And that through the unity we share with one another, through the love that we share with one another and the love that we show others, by helping and even meeting press needs. That, that could even look like this. High school, middle school student, that could look like walking through um, the hall and, and maybe somebody drops something. Uh, I've seen it happen just even this last week on a campus where, where a girl had a notebook and all her papers just went all over the place. And, and instead of laughing maybe, going and helping and picking her stuff up. It could be as simple as that. And just showing the love of Christ. And as we do, we're being the fullness of God and truly filling every nook and cranny with his glory, with his love. And so that's the church. And we see it right here fully. And so may, may we be that. May we be that. And where does it begin? As we go back, the people, remember the they, the word they, who are they? They're people that repented and believed in Christ. If you're here today and you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I, I want to encourage you today to know this, that, that God loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus, his one and only son, to die for you so that your sins could be forgiven and so that you could have life abundantly here on earth and that you could have eternal life, that you would no longer have to be afraid or fear death but know that Jesus has conquered it for you. And so today, I want you to be encouraged to believe in Christ if you never have, to turn to him, and may he truly be Lord of your life. The Bible says if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, if you confess with your mouth that he is Lord, you will be saved. So today, would you believe in Christ? And today, if God's turning your heart to do that, um, I want to encourage you to grab somebody, to tell somebody. I'll be around after the service. I'd love to talk to you. I'll be up here and, and let somebody know that you've believed in Christ today. And we'd love to talk to you more about what that means after the service. Let me pray for you.